in my entire music career, I've had very stark chapters of hiding and that rejection-sensitive dysphoria plays a big role in my life. And um, as soon as I got the diagnosis within that first week, I went, that's it, this single I've been sitting on for a couple of years has to come out, I have to do it. And then I realised that the song sounds like an ADHD song because it's about going underground <laughs> till you can shine. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, before we get started, I would like to share with you an excerpt from a message I received from a listener a few months ago. Dear Katie, thank you for everything. Your podcast has helped me beyond words. You guided me to that incredible book, A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD, which shook me to my core and propelled me to chase a diagnosis like no tomorrow. The best part is I finally felt brave enough to return to my music career six weeks after being on medication, after several years of hiding from my music career. The song was written years ago, and now I know it explains my life struggle with ADHD, when all this time I just thought I was a failed, sensitive, Piscean creative that was too old to be relevant anymore. Thanks for your part in showing me the truth. I can't thank you enough. Love, Abby. Now, Abby also sent me a link to the song she wrote called Underground, which I've included in my show notes so you can listen to it too. I was so moved and touched and thrilled that I immediately reached out to her to have her on the podcast. So here we are at episode 121 in which I interview Abby Cardwell. I soon discovered Abby is an accomplished musician from Byron Bay, Australia. She's won several awards and was also a competitor on season one of Australia's The Voice. In addition to her music, she also runs Abby's Alchemy, a gorgeous line of eco-friendly cleaning products. Now, she's currently only shipping within Australia. So if you are an Australian listener, make sure to check out her website. And Abby is offering a 10% discount for listeners of this podcast when you use the code DOPAMINELOVE. And you can find all of that in the show notes. Abby and I talk about the experience of rejection-sensitive dysphoria as an artist and how that can lead us to hide from the things we love most in life. We also talk about getting out of our own way and rediscovering our passions. We talk about hyperarousal and feeling like we are dialed to 11. I really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do too. So without further ado, here is my interview with Abby Cardwell. So, Abby, I was so touched and thrilled when you sent me a message recently on Instagram talking about your your diagnosis journey, but also a return for you to a music career that you had taken a hiatus from. And I was just so touched. And then you sent me a link to your song, which I was a little hesitant to listen to because I thought, oh, no, what if it's terrible? (laughs) And it was so so good. Do you remember my response? I was like, holy shit. Uh, It was such a good song. And I just immediately pounced on you. And I was like, oh, my, I have to hear your story. So thank you for joining me. (laughs) That's so lovely. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, so why don't you kind of talk me through how long ago you were diagnosed or what was happening in your life that you really started to put these pieces together and think this this could be ADHD? Well, I tell you now, I'm like, how did I never, how did anyone never even suggest anything? It's mind-blowing. But I... I'd had a friend that was diagnosed seven years ago and I didn't really know anything about it, you know, and she would talk about her problems and I'd go, yeah, but that's normal. I'm like, I'm a bit similar, but because, I, you know, bless her, 
she's a little bit of a hot mess <laughs> and I was often helping her. I just assumed that I it didn't it wasn't me at all. Um, but it wasn't until another one of my side businesses had many, many of them to support my music because music's hard for everyone, well, most people. Um, and it was this year I was I had meetings with marketing people, bookkeepers. I would sit with them. I would know what they'd want me to do. Then I'd come home and I would just be frozen. And I felt like I was going absolutely crazy. And then it dawned on me, oh, I think this is what people are referring to as maybe ADHD. And as soon as I had that thought, it my it was like the rug from my whole life just pulled out from under me. And I found your podcast. And when you mentioned that book by Sari Solden, the women with ADHD I got the audio book I listened to it twice and I just I was absorbing all the information I could and was just completely broken apart absolutely like my whole life um, and I think because I'm an emotional Piscean and a musician that had a very turbulent childhood I just put it all down to that and when I realized I needed to get diagnosed and the waiting list some of them weren't even taking anyone the waiting the first waiting list I had to wait till March next year and I just felt like my whole life was at stake relationship business sanity everything so I kept going to the doctor and getting more referrals and I went on a, a cancellation list with a lady that specialises in um, ADHD with children. And, of course, with children, they cancel a lot. So I got in very quickly. It was within maybe six weeks. And in that first meeting, I had found a, a book online, um, a pre-diagnosis thing, and I did all of it, which I hate paperwork. <laughs> But I did the whole thing and just handed it to her. And within that first session, she said, yeah, okay, let's let's try some medication and see what happens. And it was night and day. So, um, the, I think for me the biggest thing was in that Sari Solden book where they talk about hiding. That's where I realised in my entire music career I've had very stark chapters of hiding and that rejection sensitive dysphoria plays a big role in my life and um, as soon as I got the diagnosis within that first week I went that's it this single I've been sitting on for a couple of years has to come out I have to do it and then I realized that the song sounds like an ADHD song because it's about going underground <laughs> till you can shine. Oh, absolutely right. I feel like file that under the signs were there all along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here I am and, and my other side business, which as well um, has a similar story. Like I, I was basically, uh, when I first moved, to the paradise of Byron Bay, I was needing money fast. And I cooked up this idea of um, doing very fancy, posh cleaning for the stars. And in order to get me through that, which was a, at the time, it was a really, um, you know, I'd just come from being on The Voice and I was in a movie in Mexico and I'd done all this stuff and then I was cleaning. So I started making products that made me want to clean and I was putting crystals in them and they were plant-based. And um, so then, you know, I, that creativity came out and I started this business called Abby's Alchemy. And so now I have this dopamine filled cleaning business. <laughs> 
which is hilarious. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's funny to me. That's actually really clever going with, you know, looking up clinics that work with children because of the cancellation. I think that's really brilliant. I'm like, hopefully somebody out there can take a chapter of that book, (laughs) right? Because I feel like that's also one of the agonizing things about seeking this diagnosis is the wait list that's happening right now to so many of us, right? And that feeling of like this, we have such a sense of urgency around the validation we need for the with the diagnosis and how it feels yeah. physically painful to have to wait. <laughs> and it's like that in itself is the diagnosis. Like if it feels physically painful for you to have to not immediately have this you know this this revelation validated in some way I'm like yeah I think you're on the right track (laughs) yeah I I did at first wonder should I get diagnosed what difference does it make and that's what little I knew about it at that time Mm. um but I really think that it it's invaluable to find out (laughs) the compassion that it allows you is everything and my partner um I think at first he he was like no you're not because his idea of it was pretty limited but then we both started to notice all the things that I do that annoy him (laughs) (laughs) are pretty much that like talking a lot info dumping in the morning upon waking Uh (laughs) and uh Trying not to talk when we're watching a film. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I'm cleaning my house, it's a bit different. I get distracted. So there's usually 10 different things happening at once. <laughs> Interesting, right? It is so much yeah. easier to clean somebody else's space than our own, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, uh, now, you had mentioned that you had a tumultuous childhood. And I think I saw somewhere, maybe it was one of your Instagram posts, you had talked about growing up, spending some years in Singapore, right? So what was what was your childhood like? And what were some of the things when you were having connecting these dots where you looked back over your life and thought, oh, my goodness, it was ADHD all along? Well, I think that you know, like I had um, my parents separated when I was young, which to me was fine. I just had suddenly had two homes. and But it, it got tricky when the parents were not getting on. Um, my mum and stepfather moved to Singapore and there were three years there and then three years in England. And then when I was 12, um, I chose to leave my mother because I didn't feel safe with my stepfather. So, but then my dad's fourth, I'm pretty sure my dad was ADHD. He married five <laughs> times. So, <laughs> um, his, my dad's then wife decided she didn't want to be a stepmother. So then I went and lived with guardians. So that rejection sensitive dysphoria when you're young, um, I think I just put it all down to what happened to me as a kid. Um, but, you know, I think the RSD, um, it makes sense of why I um, have reacted to friendship breakdowns. They just devastate me um, cripplingly. And even when I went on The Voice, <laughs> I knew it was a TV show and there was every chance I'd, you know, get kicked off, but it still devastated me. Um, and it was just not logical. Um, and then I started learning piano about a year and a half ago and my teacher, in her very traditional French way, got kind of firm with me, and which is fine for most people, but I left like a toddler in tears and never played piano again. And I, I, I like look back at that and I go, that is rejection sensitive dysphoria, totally, because I wanted to be perfect and write and do this song that I was obsessed with. And she wanted me to go from a certain section of the song and my brain 
wouldn't allow me to do that. I had to do it from the top and go through. And so it was, I look back at that and go, my brain was working differently and I needed more encouragement. Um, and I do love the piano and I want to pick it back up again, but I might need to find a more playful teacher or something. Right. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. I do feel like all of us remember exactly where we were the first time we ever heard the term rejection-sensitive dysphoria. We were like, what's that? Let me Google that. And then that feeling of like, oh my goodness, this this explains so much. And, um, you know, it was interesting because I feel like talking about the the concept of hiding in the uh, Sari Solda Michelle Frank workbook, it's what was so interesting to me when I first listened to that book. And I had the same reaction. I listened to it and was like, this is incredible. And then I went out and bought the book just to own it <laughs> and, um, and have read it several times at this point. But it's like, the thing that it really amazed me about the the concept of hiding was that I understood that, you know, we masked a lot and that there were many times where I may have tried to put on this public front about who I really was. And I understood that concept of masking. But when I read the book, it was the first time I realized how much 
I was, I had pulled away from things because I felt rejection sensitivity and that I, in, you know, that there were people who may have pulled away from me because I was too much or it wasn't, you know, it was a little, it didn't work, but I was actively pulling away from a lot of things in my life, you know, to protect, to protect I think we pull away from things to protect ourselves emotionally from that RSD. It's like we've been burned. We know how hard it is to feel and process those emotions. So we're like, I can't go there anymore. Right. And I, and I feel like that's so tragic in so many of the ways that we do kind of pull away from things that are important to us. Um, Right. And and then go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was going to say, it made me think about my father in a different way. Um, because he wasn't um, really very present, and um, you know, he w- he wasn't a great father. But when he died, I was very fortunate to be by his bed. I flew in, and I was there, and you know, he was basically kind of he wasn't conscious, but um, I had the fortunate position of singing him over the line and um, I feel that it neatly tied everything up that experience where there was so much love that it healed that whole life of not of feeling rejected by him and um, I you know I, I think now he. I'm quite certain that he did have ADHD or something like that. Well, I think it's like, I, I feel like I've heard from other guests who have talked about, you know, how recognizing some of the struggles that, you know, our parents or grandparents might have had as a result of having undiagnosed ADHD, feeling like a failure, feeling lost, feeling like you're broken, and being able to feel feel like you have a little more empathy for them in the way that they may have treated you, realizing kind of where that's coming from. It sounds like that's what you were saying, right? Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on Gabor Mate's um, approach, nature versus nurture? I, I mean, I think there's a lot of things I align with in terms of, you know, I'm always questioning on this podcast, what even are we talking about? What is ADHD? And and one of the things I really like about Gabor Mate's approach is that he looks at the brain as having a sort of, you know, that the ADHD has been facilitated by some form of trauma or or some kind of malleability of our neural pathways, right? And so this idea that like, you know, we're not necessarily born with ADHD. The ADHD is what comes from the way in which our brain is reacting to things that have happened to us in our life. And maybe there's certain types of brains genetically that, you know, why, you know, I I had another guest call it sensitive wiring, right? I really like that term. But just, you know, this idea of like, there's neurodivergence, which is how I kind of think of certain people who are born with certain brains. And then those brains react to experiences in a way that might then facilitate ADHD in the form of, you know, distractedness or, or disorganization or poor memory or a lot of the those behaviors that overlap with some of the other also trauma-induced mood disorders like OCD or PTSD and so I really like the way of that thinking, and I think that was really important and really revelatory when he started writing about that. But I also, like when I read Scattered Minds, I had to stop halfway through. I've never finished that book because I found it really misogynistic. <laughs> I found it really as it's I just there's so much about trauma and the relationship with the mother that I felt very uncomfortable with as a woman and as a mother where I was like, what is how is this benefiting us to put so much blame on on the bonds and the relationship with mothers when mothers often are so you know, are in such a state of struggle and overwhelm to begin with. I was like, how is this benefiting anybody to be like, at the end of the day, it was all mom's fault. And I realized that's oversimplifying it. And I'm sure he would disagree with me. But I that was that's kind of why I never recommend that book. <laughs> because I feel like it's <laughs> Oh, really? Um, well, I 
Well, and he's one of the only psychologists that really will touch trauma with a 10-foot pole. And I feel like because it's such a complicated issue, I got to give him props for really delving into that in a, in a really curious way. And so um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of merit to a lot of the stuff he writes, but something about the whole relationship with the mother thing just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. It just feels very un- uh, just, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, it just feels very masculine, right? Uh, in, in terms of the, in terms of the like, yep, we figured it all out. It's all comes down to the mom. And I'm like, oh, really? Uh, it's very Freudian. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my that's my take on scattered minds in a nutshell. But I, I do think there's a lot about in you know in terms of just you know I think there's so many questions around like why why now right I think that's the other the other question I have which is like why in the few the last few years have so many of us been diagnosed Is it just increased awareness over what to look for and what this looks like. And we're all just kind of collectively coming to understand that ADHD might have many more faces than we thought it used to. Or did we just experience a a form of collective trauma because of lockdown, because of the pandemic, or politically, we're going through a lot of trauma. Culturally, we're going through a lot of trauma in the last few years. So it's like, you know, is that what's happening to us? Are we having trauma-like responses that mimic ADHD because so many of us are going through a lot <laughs> right now? And I i don't know. I mean, how do you even begin to unpack that? I don't know. I feel like I've been doing that for the since my diagnosis, like trying to really figure out what's happening here. Yeah. And and maybe the thing is, it's, it's not about finding an answer. It's just having the question and seeking. Well, yeah, right. And I think that's what can be so profound about this diagnosis is that we're shifting away from that thinking of what's wrong with me. I'm the problem. I'm terrible. I can't do what everybody else is doing. All of those ways in which we had sort of dumped on ourselves as being the problem. And a diagnosis of ADHD and why it feels so liberating and not at all pathological to so many of us is because it's really an explanation and saying like, oh, okay, this explains a lot. I was not the problem. This is an issue of emotional dysregulation or dopamine deficiency or whatever, you know, whatever is the answer to each of our many myriad issues. I mean, one thing, I just think that in a way it feels like now I know why I feel like I'm blessed with this curse of always feeling driven to do the thing I'm born to do, um, always wanting to do my music or my art. And I feel that for people with ADHD, it's it's heightened. Like we, we have to do, live into our calling or we will suffer if we don't. It's like the volume of that was just ramped right up to 11. Right. Uh, I know. And and ever since I heard the term hyperarousal, I feel like I want to use it all the time instead of hyperactivity. Because so I just recently went. So a few months ago, when I went to the ADHD conference in uh, the annual ADHD conference, William Dodson, who is an amazing psychologist writer, he was giving a lecture where he talked about uh, instead of using the term hyperactivity, he prefers the term hyper arousal. And I just right, I just my jaw dropped because I just felt like that so perfectly encapsulates what you're talking, what you're explaining, right? Like, I don't think many of us really relate to hyperactivity. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, I guess I fidget a little, or I don't know, I twirl my hair. Like there's things, I talk fast. Like there's things where we recognize hyperactivity in ourselves, but hyper arousal just feels like that emotional response we get. Or like you're saying, like everything feels like it's turned to 11. (laughs) Right. And, and I think, you know, it's an, so that I definitely relate to so much more in terms of, you know, what I've often called the too muchness of life, where it's like we can go from zero to 150 in terms of emotional response and emotional dysregulation and just feeling like 
Or, or like you said, like, how do you even describe to people how a certain emotional, you know, a certain response to something can feel physically painful, right? And, and where people kind of give you this look like, all right, take it down a notch. But, (laughs) and then you feel like you're, well, you're like, oh, what's wrong with me that I'm, I'm feeling so overwhelmed in this moment. Yes. You just made me remember that as a little kid, I was always told that I was a bit too much because I was so emotional. Like um, my grandmother said I was sunshine and rain when I was really little because I would really, really feel something and like be crying and then the next minute I'd be laughing. So, yeah, it's it's at 11. (laughs) Right? Well, and I think it's an interesting paradox that we have, which is like, on the one hand, we have this childlike enthusiasm about going for something that we're interested in, right? It's like we feel compelled to follow a trail, an interest, a new, you know, when we're, we have so much of that, like, driven energy and and that flow when it's when everything is flowing wonderfully it's just it's magic but at the same time it's like the flip side of that is the hiding the turning our back the pulling away from something because it feels too much and we want to protect our hearts right it's like you have to protect you, the fragility of your mental health sometimes in a way that that we have to pull away from things we love and i was just reminded of that when you were kind of when you had written to me about about you know have leaving singing and leaving a career that was so important to you. But at the same time, like I just felt it in your words about how um, the, when this, I don't know, is it like the stakes are high or, you know, sometimes a passion can feel like it's too much. Right. Yeah. And I think also when you have societal pressures of like, like for me turning 40, I was like, Oh, well that's it. You know, I didn't make it. I, well, other people would go, oh, wow, like she's starring in a movie. There was a doco made about me in Mexico that, that travelled the film festival and it looked on paper like I'd made it, but then I was coming back to Australia and then working as a cleaner. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, that's it. I've had my time. But um, one thing I really want to add is I – did I had had the book Julia Cameron's book The Artist's Way for 20 years and then I finally was ready for it in that complete desperation black hole I dedicated myself to it I did my morning pages every morning for 12 weeks I did the artist date once a week which is you spend half an hour just doing something for fun whatever it is visiting an art shop doing something new, just playing, Um, and it flicked a switch. I've done my morning pages ever since, and when I got my diagnosis, I started doing the artist way again. Um, And I think it's great, particularly for people with ADHD, because you have to play um, and make time, half an hour a week, to do something to fill your cup. And I think... There's something in that writing every morning when your subconscious is still um, active, you're more in touch with getting answers and guidance and it can really help take all of the rubbish out of your head. And I think that that's a tool that I will never give up. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's a very ADHD thing to say, too, getting all the rubbish out of your head. <laughs> but it's true, right? Yeah. If I miss a day or two, it, it's okay. I don't beat myself up. But I, I, I feel like, well, I need to dump and uh, dump in the pages. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I really like the idea of scheduling in sort of guilt-free downtime, because I think that can be really difficult for many of us. For myself, I now schedule non-working time because I find it very difficult for to to have that boundary if I'm just like lying around, you know, if I'm, if I have downtime, I usually feel guilty over the fact that I'm not doing something productive. And, and, but I also realize that downtime is productive in just different ways. Right. And so I have to like be very intentional about it. I just discovered something which might seem crazy because I'm 47, 
but I've just realized that trying to do tax book work anything that I find challenging the week before my period is just crazy it will lead to total burnout meltdown because that's what I've been trying to do (laughs) I'm like no I need to like lock that in the diary and go this week is not that Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think um, it's I, I'm so terrible at keeping track of that just also because I'm also about to turn 48 and I'm like my my period is not regular by any means anymore. And so it's really difficult for me to like get that cycle. But I think, you know, it's one of the things that realizing how much hormones play into our ADHD and our executive functioning as women is such a revelation, right? Which is like, oh, that explains a lot, right? (laughs) But at the same time, keeping track of it is not something we're terribly good at. So, (laughs) Uh, right. Uh, but it is, but I think that that's such an important way of managing, you know, when we talk about managing ADHD, it's really about paying attention in those ways where it's like, how can I set myself up for success in these ways where I'm like, this is not the week to do that, right? And really trying to understand that there's like, there are cycles to when it might be a great time to do that, or when it might be a better time to, you know, write emails or when this, you know, trying to really think of like, where is, where is my cyclical energy that's been really huge for me too. Yeah, I call it biorhythms where I'm like, what are my biorhythms throughout the day and throughout the month and even throughout the year, right? Pulling back and being like, what what are the seasons that I'm most likely to do things in? Yeah, now now you've got me thinking I need to actually map it out for the year in the diary and just like <laughs> Right. Okay, yeah. in next year's diary, I'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> I have two. I have the Google Calendar and the paper one because I don't trust myself. Oh, I do too. Plus, I just like to write it over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With GoHenry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. So that's, you know, makes me think like, what else do you feel like, what has changed for you since your diagnosis? I mean, we've talked a little bit about going back to music and, um, yeah. Music is my, I feel like is the reason I'm alive. I have, it, it comes to me, it feels, well, easy and one of the hardest things as well because you've always got to face yourself you've always got to go to battle in a way but I think it's what I'm here to do and I still face resistance 
you know, you still, when you go to write a song, it's like you want it to be the best every time. But you, ha- um, I've had to learn how to just play and do little bits as a habit. And I joined an online songwriting club, which you just have to write a song in an hour. They throw a word up and you just have to make noise and put things out there, which is a really good practice because you just have to do something, anything. And it, uh, it does help you to let go and just make whatever and, and have less attachment. Um, so I think doing what you love at whatever capacity, if you have no money, um, it, it, that doesn't have to get in the way of the thing that you love. Like if you want to be an artist, I firmly believe anything you want to do, you just do it. Like if you have a pen, you can draw in on a napkin. Um, it can be anything and then over time it will just blossom. That's my advice. Did I go off tangent there? <laughs> oh, totally. I loved it. But you know, it was I love the music group because it's so perfectly like it's like you've got you've got an urgent deadline which helps you kind of overcome perfectionism, yeah. right? <laughs> and the overthinking. I think that's so perfect for our brains, right? That just like, nope, don't even think about it and why we love, you know, why we love that spinning plate deadline feeling right which is like oh i get i get past myself i I get out of my own way and then you're just like i just have to throw something together yeah yeah and there's accountability and you've got a group a small group of people and you have to listen to everyone's stuff and it teaches you even if you listen to something that you really don't like you learn how to provide feedback and just comment on the things that stood out to you and you learn so much in that process as well. So it's it's a really cool thing to find a group like that. Do you find you approach you, your own approach to writing music or performing is different now? Well, this new song is really um, it's it's a new thing for me, and I've called it electro twang because I've. You know, I play banjo, guitar, ukulele, harmonica. It's always been very rootsy, Americana, singer-songwriter stuff. Apart from when I randomly flew to Mexico and started making music there, which was like Mexican surf, rock and roll, and I sang in Spanish. And I did have a 10-piece Mexican band in Melbourne for a while. But um, apart from that, this New music is just so exciting because I started in my just experimenting in this club. I started adding electronic stuff and samples, but then bringing in the pedal steel or the banjo. So for me, it's like this whole new world has opened up where it's like modern and old. And my partner, Matthew, um, writes techno music. So he could hear what I was playing with on my garage band but he has the skills to actually make it magical so he took my ideas and then made this single so it's really nice now that um we have something that we can do together sometimes so yeah it's great (laughs) <laughs> that is great. And does it does it sounds playful, right? Which is what you were saying. It's Yes. Yes. And you know, I know I just know in my heart that I'm I'm most at home on stage for some strange reason. I've always felt whole, more completely me on stage for some reason. I do not really understand why, but um I know that I'm supposed to be doing that. And I'm happy I have a few more singles up my sleeve that will come out over the next few months. And I have big visions of um, performing. I'm also sort of enjoying having a side business to support that at the moment with my dopamine cleaning stuff. (laughs) Abby's alchemy. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to um, not have all the pressure 
on music. I think when when it was all about being on social media and having to make a living, you know, I used to live in my van and tour around and travel all the time. And I think that your RSD can flare up a lot when you're, for me, the pressure of having to make a living, it all becomes, because it's you, you're the brand, it eats at your self-worth when you're like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm struggling. So to have another thing that I have this sort of spiritual um, creative outlet through my alchemy, making all these wonderful things in my lab. And it's just another expression of my creativity and somehow it all works. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like that was for me, I had this long list of, of short-lived businesses. I'm not going to call them failed businesses, <laughs> but they were like short-lived. But I also feel like now i I look at them as all each one of them as being a building block, right? Like of this patchwork quilt of of who I am now. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I was a hypnotherapist. <laughs> and like when I, I I did that for a while in Melbourne and I realized, oh, it's like when you're doing hypnotherapy on someone, it was it was so similar to writing a song because you've got to think on your feet while they're under hypnosis. You don't know what they're going to say, so you have to think in metaphors. And I was like, this is like songwriting. But in the end, it was my executive dysfunction that I just sort of turned me off because you have to do so much marketing and to find clients and do all of that. So that, um, you know, I look back now and go, my whole, all of my careers, even my music career, it was always that stuff that I struggled with. And even now I am getting some help to look at all of the stuff I find really, really hard with Abby's Alchemy, just like the bookkeeping and the marketing and all of that stuff. I like elements of it, but planning for me, not my strong suit. Right. Yeah. And it kind of amazes me that like, why would I ever think I was supposed to be good at all the things? Like... <laughs> you know, I've always, that always makes, you know, now I'm kind of in this framework of like, who can I offload this to? I, I can't do this. I don't want to do it. Who can I get to do this is much more my mindset now, as opposed to like, why did we always default to this place of shame? And like, I should be able to do my taxes. Like, why would you be able to do your taxes if you, that's not what you're cut out for, you know, like, I just sort of feel like, why did we always put so much pressure on ourselves to do all of the things by ourselves? Yeah, I, asking for help, that's a big, it's huge. I like it even yesterday I was carrying um, heaps of stuff and someone said, oh, do you want a hand? And I physically, I almost short-circuited. I wanted to say yes, but I was like, and and, and it got really awkward. And then I said, uh, yeah, okay. Like, and we all laughed about it because it's just, why can't we just say yes? We, we, I get because when you do say yes, you're allowing their energy, their giving. Like people receive from energy from giving, so we're cutting off the flow where we don't do it. We have to have to be able to say yes, please, thank you. <laughs> right, that's such a good. I'm perspective. saying this to myself. I know, I know. It is a good reminder yeah. that actually people like to help, <laughs> and yeah. that we are helping them by allowing them to help us. It's it's reciprocal, yeah. right? And also, I, w I thought about when you were talking about being on stage and how comfortable it is to be on stage because I do think that's something that some of uh, many of us have that that question: like, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Because I feel like an introvert a lot of the time, but I love being performing. I love being on stage. I have a performative element, right? I love, you know, public speaking or being on stage. And I wonder, you mentioned as a child being, you know, accused of being too much. And on stage, you have permission to be as much as you want, right? And I, so I wonder if there's something there, if there's a connection there in terms of the, the permission when you're on, when you're on stage to be as much as you want. <laughs> I feel that I am inherently an introvert because I 
recharge through being alone and I love my space and my alone time. But when I'm on stage, and it's going to sound a bit (laughs) woo-woo, but I have always, and even before I knew about woo-woo stuff, I would before I went on stage, I had this conversation. It was like I I was connecting with my guides, and being on stage was always felt that it was about allowing people. The more comfortable and the more joy I had on stage, it gave everyone in the room permission to feel it, and so it. If I was nervous, there was one time where I was on live television playing a song I didn't know and I was really nervous (laughs) and I had to just say to myself, get out of the way because it's not about me. It's about, it's about everyone else. And I just have to sort of let, let everyone else come through me and take over. So I think maybe it's, it, it's a bit more of a spiritual thing, I don't know, being on stage. And then, yeah, then I love being at home and making stuff and being in my garden and, yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. And I feel like I am I often don't think I'm very woo, but I am a huge proponent of, like, energy in that way. I feel like there's so much energy between humans and in rooms, you know, and so we we often talk about like walking into a room and feeling the vibe, right? Feeling energy in rooms from different people and, you know, never knowing if it's going to be like, hey, I'm going to have the greatest time or you walk into a room and you're like, oh, nope, I need to leave. <laughs> this is not the vibe for me. And and I think, right, like I, I love that idea that we create a sense of energy between us yeah maybe adhd people just have that heightened do you think so right well everything else is turned up i wouldn't be surprised if we feel that frequency (laughs) and and feel things without logically knowing like you can you know know if you can trust someone without even really having only met them you know like sometimes i meet people and straight away I know that it's safe to talk about all the weird, crazy stuff. And I just know. I just know. <laughs> it's great. Right? Yeah. I definitely feel like those are the those are the, our ADHD sisters. Cause it's like, you know, I know I've and I have always had always been like that, where I was like, I don't have time for small talk. I'm like, can we please like get immediately to the trauma? Or like, let's get immediately to like the weird, you know, theories about science or something. Like I'm like, uh, you know, let's <laughs> Can we make a t shirt that says allergic to small talk? Oh, I like that. An allergy bracelet that we all wear. <laughs> there you go. You've just created another small, another side business. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to write that down. T-shirt business. <laughs> That's Acc- the other thing. Oops. I know, right? Oops, I accidentally started another business. <laughs> yeah, oops. Um, one great thing, um, this guy told me this two years ago, and, and I'm, I'm doing it. You get a little book. And you write on an ideas car park and you put all of your ideas into the book. So it helps get everything out. Um, You know, I just saw a TikTok video recently and I want to reach out to this woman because it's one of the most brilliant, brilliantly simple methods I've seen to this idea of the brain dump or like, you know, taking just clearing out all of the rubbish and putting it somewhere. Because I often talk about that with my clients, too. It's like, how can I park this somewhere so it takes up less bandwidth in my brain, but I don't lose it forever? Right? Because I think we have that idea of like, I need to hold on to these things. Because if I don't, if I don't act on it immediately, or if I don't tend to it, it's going to be lost in the ether. And so so this woman had she basically just had like, a um, sticky notes, like um, post-it notes, and she just writes everything from, you know, make a dentist appointment to, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, radically transform the environmental policies in my neighborhood or something like it was just like everything from 
crazy outlandish ideas to chores that needed to be tended to. And she just writes it all down. And then she just has paper after paper after paper, where she just puts the sticky notes like in a grid um, on the papers, and she just flips through them and then looks for like, what are three ones that I can do right now? What are three I can do today? And she just does, it's sort of this variation of the pick three uh, model that I had heard about, I've heard about before, which is very successful for a lot of people, which is like, don't have a overwhelming to-do list, just pick three things. And that never worked for me because I just, there's, I have, I, I can't, just pick three. I don't know. It's never worked for me. But for, there was something very appealing about this idea of just having endless sticky notes and going through them and just being like, okay, which what am I doing today? With the morning pages, Julia Cameron says like once you get to the end of the book, you get two different colored highlighters. So one color, you highlight ideas that stand out. And in the other colour are actions to do. So at the end of it, you can go through and um, see what it is that your heart really, really wants. So that's a cool concept. But for me, I actually find it um, pretty challenging to read over the old stuff. Right. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to burn them, which 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 <laughs> people do too. Just like let let it go and yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine going back and reading my journals from university. That would be torture to me. <laughs> no, I, I burnt all of mine from my childhood. Mm. Did you really? Mm-hmm. That's bold. Maybe I'll do that one on a New Year's Eve. <laughs> I'll, I'll set fire to them all. It was really, 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 really cathartic. Yeah. And um, there's another uh, ritual that I think could be really nice for ADHD people. It's a Peruvian ritual called a despacho ceremony. And you traditionally get white tissue paper, but instead of making a New Year's, you know, a wish list of all the things that you want to do, it's completely opposite. You basically get all like food and flowers and organic things and you make a um, like a visual mandala but every item you put on this tissue paper while you're building this beautiful piece of food art or whatever you're using is you're saying thank you for the things in your life. Um, and I did this one New Year's Eve where I was alone and feeling sorry for myself, but I discovered the superpower of gratitude that night because I did it for about three hours and I was writing on leaves and saying thank you for all of everything in my life. And I was buzzing for a good two weeks after that. Um, and then on the January the 1st, you wrap it up and you bury it in the ground like you're giving it back to the earth. And it, it was totally magical. And I've done it every New Year's ever since. And I, I wrote friends in. Um and even guys that come round to parties, I'm like, we're doing a dispatcher ceremony. And I thought they'd be like, nah, but they're totally into it. They're like, oh, you got to dig a big hole, get it in the ground. <laughs> so I think that, um, you know, I've heard people say, oh, gratitude, you know, it's a superpower. But um, physically doing something like that is really, really powerful. Yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever heard of it, but I'm a big fan of, of ritual, especially New Year and solstice rituals too. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to look into that. Um, that's so cool. It's just so different from going, oh, you know, like I want this and I don't have that. Like you're thinking from with New Year's resolutions often of what you don't have. Um, and it's, it's um, a totally different space a heart space to just be like, wow, I'm, I'm so grateful for, there's a lot to be grateful for. When you start doing it, it sort of snowballs. You might start at first going, whatever, <laughs> but, but it does actually work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I've talked about this 
this theme, I think, kind of is woven throughout in the podcast, this idea that it is literally more interesting for us to focus on the negative. It's There's more dopamine in focusing on what we don't have. There's the puzzle. That's the puzzle we love to solve, the problem. Where can I, you know, how can I improve? How can I fix things? And so we tend to spend very little mental energy on what's working. <laughs> and then it's like, surprise, why are we all so depressed? And so it's like, uh, you know, that idea of like, yes, take it really build that muscle to reframe a lot of the time has been and I, you know why I think people like Sari sold in their work is so important is because they spend so much time rather than saying you have ADHD we're gonna fix everything she says no nothing it was ever wrong with you let's reframe some of the things that are wonderful in your life and let's really have you know show let's work on having gratitude for the amazing human you already are and I think that's so much more profound found and powerful than saying like, all right, let's figure out how we're going to find the right perfect planner for you and how we're going to fix everything. And it's like, no, 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 you never need it to be fixed. She says, I think she says dogs and furniture are the only things that need to be fixed. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, you've just given me another business idea. I'm going to do a hypnotherapy with music, with, with all that positive stuff. (laughs) ADHD. <laughs> there we are. Right. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Sign me up. Uh, now, I now I always love to ask if you could rename ADHD. Would you call it something else? Okay. Well, um, I noticed a young man wrote um, the other week. He called it Dave. Have uh-huh. you heard of that? Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Connor DeWolf. Yep. Dopamine attention variability executive dysfunction. <laughs> but I when I was trying to think about it, I the closest thing I got, and I know it's not on point, but what came to my mind was intention overdrive. As in your and it has different meanings in it too, because your true intentions will overdrive everything. <laughs> so um, that was the closest I got because I felt like, you know, it heightens our need to follow our calling. Um, it's not, I know it's not the one yet, but. <laughs> I like it. Or we could also just call it like turned turned up to 11. <laughs> you know, dials at 11. Yeah. It's just 11. We'll just call it 11. 11? Oh, I like that. Very simple. It's great. I could see the merch, right? I could see the merch already. Just the di- the music dial and uh, like the amp and then just yeah, have it say 11. Yeah, and the name of that girl in that series? Oh, 11. yeah. Uh, from Stranger cool. Things, right? It's like, if you know, you know. 11. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> she sensitive. has ADHD for she's sure. She's totally got ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. 11. I love that can it. be on the t-shirt too. Perfect. Like, oh yeah. my goodness. Well, I'm yeah. so pleased that you <laughs> reached out to me. I was so touched. And I'm just so in awe of your talent and your perspective. So I'm so grateful that you reached out to me and that we were able to have this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And this is my coming out. Like I haven't told people publicly. so. Um, but I figured that, you know, like someone said to me, don't tell anyone, you'll get judged. And then I thought I got a bit fearful and then I thought, but, but wouldn't I be missing out on connecting with my people? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think. I know. It's funny because when I kind of came out and I came out accidentally because I had this platform and and I sort of, you know, was sort of like, oh, yeah, hello, I guess I'm out now. And it's so funny because when other people who have ADHD and you tell them that you've been diagnosed, their reaction is like, yay, congratulations. Oh, my God, that's so wonderful. Welcome to the club. And people who ha- who don't know anything about ADHD are just sort of look have that look like I'm sorry about your disorder. <laughs> I know. I, I thought that the other day. It was a bit like, oh, I'm sorry, and I'm like, what? 
Right? What are you talking about? But I feel like the more we talk openly about it, the more we're changing what it looks like. So it's not like people immediately think, oh, she's a hot mess. She's got ADHD. I mean, yes, we all are in our own way hot messes. But I think it's, you know, that ADHD also looks like very creative, very capable, very, you know, intelligent people who are doing wonderful things. And, and, you know, just because I can't fold my laundry that who cares but you know but we're really like i think these the the more of us the more we kind of live that truth the more we're destigmatizing this stereotype of like oh you can't possibly have adhd because you're too and then insert something positive like that's such a ridiculous stereotype uh that's like you're too you're too successful to have adhd or you're too together it's like no that's actually the the two of those they coexist yeah yeah and I think um, knowing about it and and um, actually accepting the shadow side of it is is to to love it the whole thing you know understanding the weaknesses that come with it but then like all of the positives like I wouldn't take it away if someone said he's a pill I'd be like no right this is I'm 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 digging this <laughs> this is okay like. Despite the downsides, the creativity, oh, my God, the ideas, the business ideas. Right? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, No, okay, so I'll have a link to your website, but how uh, is there another way? What's the best way that people can find you and look you up? Well, look, all of my music um, is everywhere. So um, just under my name, um, it's... You'll you'll see I'm ADHD with all the different styles of music when you get on there. Um, I've I've got just a few of my albums on Spotify because they don't pay a lot. The rest of my albums are on my website. But um, and then if someone's interested in dopamine fueled cleaning products like this, can I show it? I mean, yeah, this is on YouTube, so you can show it for the for the YouTube viewers. I'll I'll put a link to. You. Is there a separate website for the Abby's Alchemy? Um, there is, yeah. There's, okay, I'll make sure to I put don't, a link for that. I, look, if someone wants something posted overseas, we can talk. But I don't normally sell overseas just because it's expensive. Yeah, well, you know, I I've got quite a Australia New Zealand listenership growing so oh, right right <laughs> wow well the cleaning products are you know they're multi-sensory because the crystals make music and it's all natural and they're refillable so that's and my my little side love before i do the allergy t-shirts but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also like you were talking about with the hypnotherapy, right? It was like your musical background was able to give you that unique perspective of the similarities. And I'm like, if we don't have all of these crazy experiences and try all of these random things, we are, we're able to see those connections in ways that other people aren't. So, yeah, I think I'll get back into the hypnotherapy. Maybe when I'm an old lady, um, (laughs) I can, I can see it. I'll just be all crazy and woo woo and doing past life regression right and- the caftan and a bunch of crystals <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh, uh, well i love it thank you so much abby it's been absolutely delightful to so hear I your story I you were closer. i'd love i'd say come around for dinner <laughs> <laughs> well thanks again it's been a pleasure have a lovely day oh, and so great lovely. weekend And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. 
And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. <music>